reading of God's word. Let's turn together to Mark chapter 13. Daniel 9, first. Uh, Mark 13, if you already begin, begun to turn there, keep your thumb there. Um, I don't know how you do that on your phone, uh, but we're going to read from uh, Daniel chapter 9. This is the prophecy uh this known as the 70 weeks of, of Daniel. And as we're turning there, uh, I'll remind you that we're, we're uh, I began this uh, series of exposition in uh, Mark 13, the Olivet Discourse, uh, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, together, we have said with First and Second Thessalonians, uh, the Olivet Discourse, Mark, uh, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, uh, these passages form a grid through which we can interpret the book of Revelation, which we're, uh, Lord willing, will be uh, launching out on an exposition of Revelation first Sunday in June. So, Daniel chapter 9, beginning at verse 24, 70 weeks, or we could translate this 77s, have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern that from the issue of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, there will be seven weeks or seven sevens and 62 weeks, 62 sevens, it will be built again with the plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then after 62 sevens, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with a flood. Even, the end, uh, even to the end, rather, there will be a war. Desolations are determined. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, one seven. But in the middle of that seven, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Mark 13, verses 14 through 23 is our text. We'll, we'll read verses 1 through 23. As he was going out on the, 
of the temple, one of the disciples said to him, Teacher, behold, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew were questioning him privately. Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of all these things that are going to be fulfilled? And Jesus began to say to them, see to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will mislead many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. These things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will also be famines. These are merely the beginning of birth pangs. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you to the courts, and you will be flogged in the synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. The gospel must first be preached to all nations. When they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are going to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father, his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. The one who is on the housetop must not go down or go in or get anything out of his house. And the one who is in the field must not turn back to get his coat. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that it may not happen in the winter. For those days will be a time of tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the creation which God created until now and never will. Unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or Behold, he is there, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in order to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But take heed. Behold, I have told you everything in advance. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Amen. Be seated as we... Amen. Amen. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless the preaching and hearing of his word. To you, O God, whose word we praise, to you, O Jehovah, whose word 
we praise, we look with trust, with expectancy, that you are pleased, O Lord, to cause your word to be efficacious in, uh, for both for salvation in the hearts of those who do not know you and for edification in the hearts of those who belong to Christ. We pray that you would bring about your holy purposes. We pray that you would grant us a liberal portion of the Holy Spirit so that your word would be preached in power and heard in power. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The question before anyone facing a serious threat to life or property is this. Do I stay or do I go? Is it worth the loss of life to protect and preserve my stuff? Jesus puts that scenario before his followers in our text as, uh, as he was preparing his disciples for his departure and the, the instruction and uh, the warning of the Olivet Discourse here in Mark 13. He cautions them about a period of great tribulation that is coming. The Lord tells them that everything he describes to him and Verses 5 through 31 of this chapter would happen in the generation then living. Where does he do that? Verse 30, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Now some have sought to twist and wrangle this word to mean something other than the present generation. It doesn't mean that uh, anywhere else in, in the Bible, in the New Testament. It doesn't mean a race, for example, the race until this race passes away. No, it means, it means uh, the present generation, uh, that those who are hearing, uh, among those uh, uh, who, who now are hearing this Olivet Discourse on the Mount of Olives. And he warns them that because of the severity of this day of great tribulation, that's going to come upon Judea, and in particular Jerusalem, he warns them that they shouldn't delay their flight from the city uh, when it came, that, uh, that some would tell them that it wasn't coming, and that they there, therefore didn't need to flee. Remember, he's, he's, uh, Jesus embarks upon the Olivet Discourse in response to comments about the beauty of the temple in verse 1, the disciples, uh, as they were leaving the temple, said, Lord, look, look at these wonderful buildings. Look at these marvelous uh, buildings. And, and as we noted in the first uh, sermon, it was beautiful. It was a great spectacle. It's one of the uh, architectural wonders of, of the, the ancient world. And then Jesus, following that, statement of the beauty of the temple made by the disciples predicted the destruction of the temple. Verse 2, do you, not, uh, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another uh, that will not be torn down. And that prompts a question from the disciples. 
They want to know two things in particular. First, they wanted to know when these things would happen. When will these things be, verse 4? And then second, they wanted to know the sign as to when these things were about to be accomplished. What will be the sign when all these things are going to be filled? Now, the disciples mistakenly associated the destruction of the temple with the end of all things, the end of the last day, the final judgment. And that, uh, this is the case, is apparent from Matthew's uh, account of the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, 3, when will these things happen, the temple's destruction, and what will be the sign of your coming, the parousia, and the end of the age, or rather at the end of the age. But whatever confusion was in the minds of Jesus' apostles, and you remember there was often confusion in the minds of, of his apostles, Uh, Whatever misunderstandings they had in his answer, Jesus separates the destruction of uh, uh, Jerusalem and its temple in A.D. 70 from the the end of the Messianic Age, dividing their question into two parts. First, he speaks of Uh, the when and the sign of the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And secondly, he speaks of the end of the Messianic age. In Mark's account, the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple forms the content of section 1, verses 5 through 31, and the uh, the end of the age uh, forms the content of section 2, verses 32 through 37. Now, before Jesus gives to his apostles, before he answers their question about this sign that was going to signal to them, it would signalize when Jerusalem and the temple would be destroyed, he tells them about a number of things that they might be tempted to think uh, were signals of the coming destruction of Jerusalem and uh, the, uh, the temple. So he, he's mentioning things that might mislead them here, that the, uh, this destruction was, was at hand. Don't be confused or, or be misled by false teachers, Jesus went on to warn them. Such things as wars and rumors of wars wouldn't mark that the time had come. That is the time of the destruction of Jerusalem, the temple. There, there'd be earthquakes, there'd be famines, but these were only the beginning of birth pangs, Jesus says. They would face severe persecution through which they must persevere and the gospel must be preached to all nations. But none of these things were to be taken as indicative that the time of judgment upon Jerusalem had come. In verse 14, the first verse of our text Jesus gives them the real sign that Jerusalem's judgment of the temple destruction was at hand. When you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be. And then in what follows that sign, 
Jesus does two things. He warns all people to flee from the coming judgment. And secondly, he comforts his people concerning the coming judgment. He warns all people to flee from the coming judgment. He comforts his people concerning the coming judgment. Now, point one is where we're going to spend most of our time today. Uh, And for your comfort, uh, point two is quite short. Um, As we begin, we're uh, in verses 14 to 16. The point that that Jesus is making here as he, he is warning all people, he's warning everyone to flee from the coming judgment. He wants them to know with certainty that judgment's coming, and he wants them to take that judgment seriously. Certainty and seriousness. In the first place, Lord Jesus Christ wants you to know the certainty of coming judgment. The definitive marker by which they could gauge the nearness of the coming tribulation that Jesus speaks about in our text is in verse 14. When you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, that's when you'll know that what I've, this word that I've spoken about the temple, not, uh, not one stone will be left upon another, that's when you'll know this is about uh, to take place. And Mark inserts his, his own uh, commentary here in verse 14. Let the reader understand He's focusing our attention on this warning. Let the reader beware. Let the reader look for this definitive marker of this coming tribulation. What exactly is the abomination of desolation? We get some interpretive help from Luke's account, chapter 21 and verse 20. The parallel account there of the Olivet Discourse. Concerning that desolation, he records these words spoken by Jesus. Luke uh, records these words as a faithful gospel witness. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, know that her desolation is at hand. So Luke interprets this prophetic language that Uh, Jesus borrowed from Daniel 9, one of the places in Daniel, also 11 and 12. Uh, We read that passage in Daniel 9. As an encircling of Jerusalem by armies ready to desolate her. The Roman armies did indeed circle Jerusalem on at least two occasions. Once under Vespasian Early in the siege of the city of Jerusalem, later under Titus, uh, the Roman general, who later, uh, later Roman emperor, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by these armies, uh, Vespasian, by the way, was an emperor. He began to reign in A.D. 69, so not that long prior to uh, the fall of, of Jerusalem, the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. When you see these armies 
the days of tribulation. I've spoken to you about uh, are at hand. So he wants them to know that judgment upon Jerusalem is certainly coming. And he wants them to take it seriously. Be prepared. Be prepared to flee, he says. The Lord in his providence cautioned, uh, rather caused Vespasian to uh, withdraw uh, when the emperor Nero died before uh, uh, providing believers an opportunity to, uh, to escape. When that opportunity came, it's, it's estimated that a million Jews did just the opposite. They instead rushed into the city, resulting in a terrible bloodbath in Jerusalem when the destruction took place. But many followers of Christ heeded that warning, and they fled. They found refuge in a city, uh, the city uh, of Perea, called Pella. And then finally, when the Roman soldiers got the upper hand in the horrible battle that ensued for a number of uh, days, we read in the Jewish historian Josephus, the Romans, upon burning the holy house itself and all of the buildings lying around it, brought their incense into the temple and set them over against its east gate. And there they did offer sacrifices to them, and there they did make Titus imperator, emperor, with great acclamations of joy. The incense, a religious symbol of the Roman legion, was brought into the temple, and there the Romans bowed down in the temple of the living God to Caesar. They offered sacrifices to him. Now today, under a certain brand of of eschatology, that is the study of the last things, the abomination of desolation is associated with a future world-ruling antichrist. But the Gospels make clear here in Mark, that what Jesus is speaking of is a first century fulfillment. Our Lord, in his infinite mercy, gave his followers a definitive marker so that they might be prepared to get out, to flee the city in order to escape God's judgment upon Jerusalem. Jesus furthermore says, as he's seeking to help them understand of the seriousness of this warning, don't let anything get in the way of your flight. When you see the Roman armies around Jerusalem, don't let anything stop you from getting out of the city. Verses 15 and 16, uh, the, the, uh, the housetop was commonly used as a place of prayer at, at midday. Uh, Israelites spent time on their uh, their, their roofs were flat. They're not, they weren't pitched like our, our roofs. And they spent time on, on the roofs of uh, their homes. They liked to hang out there. But, but especially prayer at midday. Remember Peter had gone up to his roof at the sixth hour of the day uh, at, at noon when he saw the vision of unclean animals recorded in Acts 9. And you got up and down typically in the, the houses of Israel 
by an external staircase. And so uh, Jesus says, get down to flee, but don't go inside the house. Don't try to rescue your belongings. It's that serious. It's that urgent that you get out of Jerusalem as when a house is unexpectedly besieged by fire or flood. The only concern must be for life and not for the possessions in the house. The reference to a a man working in the field is, uh, is certainly appropriate for the agrarian society uh, in, in Israel, the, the cloak, the outer garment. If they were out in the field, they weren't to go back and, and get their cloak, a garment to keep them warm at night, but they were to get out of town. They were to flee. Jesus insisted upon the necessity of an immediate flight. He warns them not to be like People who refuse to evacuate in a time of disaster, but instead to hunker down and and ride out a severe storm, or or like the one who risks his life to get his personal possessions out of a burning house. Be prepared. Don't let anything hinder you. Take this warning seriously. And then... Jesus goes on to say, don't underestimate the severity of the coming judgment. He speaks of the hardship that would face pregnant and nursing mothers in difficult circumstance. Verse 17, verse 18, he refers to the difficulty of winter conditions. Uh, If it happened during that time of the year, Conditions that would prevent people from reaching a place of refuge. It would be a hardship on pregnant women. It would be a hardship if it happened during the time of winter. And he spoke of it, interestingly, verse 19, as a great adversity without precedent. For those days will be a time of tribulation. Matthew, in his account of the Olivet Olivet Discourse, says that will be a time of a great tribulation. And some have uh, used this particular verse to argue that Jesus can't be referring to the destruction of the temple in AD 70 because of the language, so they say, refers to a wide-scale cataclysmic uh, tribulation. Many interpreters insist that Jesus here refers to a great tribulation following the so-called rapture, during which the terrors of the book of tribulation will be brought on the earth. What are we to think about this reference to a time of tribulation, to the great uh, tribulation? which Matthew calls it, Matthew 24. You'll hear me say this again as we begin our study in the book of Revelation. If you want to understand prophecy in the New Testament, 
You need to understand the Old Testament. You need to know the Old Testament. You need to see allusions to the Old Testament. If we separate the Old and New Testaments as did that particular, or as does, I should say, that particular brand of of, uh, eschatology, study last things, if you make a sharp distinction between Old and New, you can't understand the New Testament. There's so many things. Um, the new is in the old concealed. The old is in the new revealed. That's the old adage. And it's, it's quite uh, profound and it's quite helpful. So we need to have a grasp on the Old Testament, and in particular, Old Testament apocalyptic language. Uh, it's quite dramatic and hyperbolic. What is hyperbole, children? Uh, It's an exaggeration. It's an overstatement. The Bible often uses exaggeration and and overstatement to make a point. And Jesus, I am arguing, is using hyperbolic language, dramatic overstatement to make his point. As we examine the Old Testament, we find that the judgment language of the apocalyptic writings is quite formulaic. In other words, certain kinds of uh, repeated expressions are used. It's something of a prophetic trade language, we could say. For example, Exodus 11.6, we read, concerning the tenth plague in, in Egypt, when all the firstborn were killed, quote, More, moreover, There shall be a cry in all the land of Egypt, such as there has not been before, and such as there will never be again. Now, can you think of another time in biblical history in the New Covenant when there was such an outcry? When children, firstborn children, were being being slaughtered? We know that there was such an outcry in biblical history when Herod slaughtered all the male children to and under in Bethlehem after the birth of Christ. This is dramatic hyperbole. And it's common in Old Testament prophetic language, especially in the apocalyptic language of the Old Testament. But what we find in Ezekiel 5 verse 9 bears more directly on our text here. In reference, uh, in that chapter, Ezekiel 5, this is in reference to the destruction of the temple in 589, when the Babylonians conquered Judea. There we read, it was 586 rather, uh, because of all your abominations, I will do what I have not done, and the like of which I will never do again. What did he do? He destroyed, the Babylonian army destroyed the temple. But that happened again in AD 70. So the same thing is going on in the first century, and Jesus uses the same language to describe it. 
to make the point that the tribulation that they were going to undergo and the destruction of Jerusalem of the temple was going to be very severe and they, they ought to take it seriously. Now, that's not to, to deny that there will be a great tribulation at the end of time before the second coming of Christ. I think there will be a great tribulation at that time. It's only to say that the great tribulation to which Jesus referred here is uh, in the Olivet Discourse is fulfilled in the first century prior to or during the year A.D. 70. So understand the certainty of Christ's coming, take it seriously, and then don't let anybody tell you it's not coming. Jesus said to those who heard this discourse in verses 21 to 23. This is the second warning Jesus gave to his disciples about false teachers. The first one, uh, you remember, is in verses 5 and 6. Jesus began to say to them, See to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will mislead many. And then again, verse 21, If then anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or behold, there is the Christ, do not believe him, for false Christs and false teachers will arise, and will show signs and wonders in order to lead astray, if possible, the elect. How would these false teachers about whom Jesus warns his disciples lead them astray, lead God's people astray? Well, they would do this as the false prophets of old by denying coming judgment and tribulation announced by God's true prophets they would cry peace and safety when there was no peace and safety. They would say to God's people, God is not angry with you. He's not angry with his people. Surely he won't judge his people severely. Ezekiel 13, 9 to 10, God says, So my hand will be against the prophet's who see false visions and utter lying divinations, they have misled my people by saying, Peace when there is no peace. The true prophet, Jesus Christ, warns of coming tribulation. A great tribulation, Matthew says. And he calls his people to take it seriously and flee. Take heed, he says, in verse 23. I've told you everything in advance. And notice carefully that, this, that the Olivet Discourse is not simply a text for first century Christians. It's a text for us. Jesus ends this discourse. What I say to you, I say to all. Be on the alert. Even though this particular incident Jesus refers to here isn't the final judgment, it's a warning to flee from the final judgment. As severe as the tribulation that came upon Jerusalem 
as a judgment upon the Jews because of their unbelief, because they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, it will not hold a candle to the final judgment coming at the last day when Jesus returns in all of his splendor and glory with the holy angels, the man whom God has appointed to judge in righteousness. As God's wrath came upon Jerusalem that day in AD 70, so it should come upon all who have rejected Christ at the last day. And on that day, God's wrath will not be tempered as it was in the destruction of Jerusalem in the temple. Because the clock will have run out for the unbelieving world. Jesus, with his warning, sounds forth now, as he did then, flee from the wrath to come. All temporal judgment, whether in the Old Covenant or in the New Covenant, is a prelude to the final judgment of wrath that God will bring upon the ungodly, upon all those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ. It is, as I have been saying, uh, AD 70, the judgments of the Old Covenant are microcosms of the macrocosmic judgment of the last day. And the concerns of, of Christ's warnings are the same as any day, any age of the church, the men of Noah's day. Before the flood, didn't believe him. They said, you're, 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 you're out of your mind, Noah. There's not going to be any such thing come upon the flood, Jesus said on this occasion, in, uh, as, as Matthew records it in the 24th chapter of his gospel, Jesus refers to that. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying and, and giving in marriage, carrying on as if nothing was, was coming. And so it was in the day of God's judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. So that Lot's own sons thought that he was joking with them about the coming judgment of fire and brimstone. And so it is in our day. People don't take coming judgment seriously. They don't believe judgment's coming. They underestimate its severity, following their own rationale or listening to false teachers who say peace Sin isn't really that serious. God isn't a God of wrath, but a God of love. There's no hell, no judgment. And even if there is an eternal judgment, they say, the God of love isn't going to severely punish anybody. Jesus warns that the same sin of unbelief that brought judgment upon Jerusalem will bring God's wrath upon unbelief at the last day. Every sin. no matter how small we might think it to be, is serious enough to bring everlasting hell 
and damnation upon the soul of any human being who refuses to bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. One minute sin. And we who know the Lord Jesus Christ know best that it's not one. And they are not minute. If we had to face judgment in our own stead, we would be pronounced guilty of a multitude of sins, iniquities, transgressions against an infinitely holy God. Doesn't that make you thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ? How else do I stand righteous before a holy God? One who's blazingly holy, more holy than we can possibly imagine. How? Only through the imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. His perfect obedience imputed to us, credited to us, reckoned to us as our righteousness. His perfect satisfaction of God's wrath. On the cross. What a wondrous thing this is. Who would, why would anyone refuse to flee from the wrath that is to come? May I ask you, have you truly, have you genuinely, children, young people, young adults, middle-aged people, older, you in your latter years, have you truly and genuinely fled to the only hope for salvation in the great day of wrath. Faith in Jesus Christ and repentance unto life. That's how you escape the great wrath that is coming due to sin. But AD 70 is a picture of temporal judgment that God brings upon sin in any age. And I'm not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet. But it certainly seems to me that the period we have just undergone in this pandemic, whether or not you want to call it a pandemic, is really not my point. It seems to me that we have undergone a worldwide temporal judgment for sin and unbelief. And it's a reminder that in any age, believers are to take seriously the warning that God gives us to flee from sin, from Uh, the Lord's displeasures that we experience in this life when he chastises us for our sin. The Bible says, flee immorality. 
Every other sin that a man commits is against the body. But this one, this sin, the sin of immorality, is a sin against the Holy Spirit. Flee youthful lusts. May I ask you, believer in Christ, do you take sin seriously? Are you taking sin seriously? Have you listened to others who have tried to convince you that sin simply isn't that serious? It's not really that big a deal. I was reminded recently of the way uh, the youth of just this generation no longer believe that sex outside of marriage is sinful. And they're being, where are they hearing about this? Well, there are teachers, there are false teachers who are telling them this. Or they're depending on their own rationale. Have you listened to such things, young people, children, don't listen to these things. Believe what the Bible tells you clearly about these things. Do you tell yourself that, have you listened to false teaching uh, that, to, to the effect that God is never displeased with his children? You know that teaching is going on. In the church, of Jesus Christ in reformed denominations it's going on people are being taught that God is never displeased with his people I heard it recently in a sermon in a reformed congregation that I was visiting God is a God of grace Once he saves you, he's not displeased with you when you sin. We're always in this disposition of God's favor according to this particular theology. Jesus is warning us about external judgments and the internal judgments that take place in the hearts of his children. But then secondly... And briefly, Jesus comforts his people. He warns all people to flee the coming judgment. He comforts his people in the coming judgment. Look again at verse 19. 19. It's profoundly instructive to take notice of of Jesus' language here um, in in these two verses, in verses 19 and 20, but especially here, here in verse A 20. Those days will be a time of great tribulation, he says. We've read that. Unless the Lord had shortened those days. Notice that language. Unless he had shortened those days. No life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he he shortened those days. Before it took place, God had determined, what can this mean? except that before the great tribulation, before the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in A.D. 70, God had already foreordained that he would shorten those days for the the sake of his 
uh, elect people. Notice that uh, that's what Jesus says. He's going to show his mercy to his elect people for the sake of the elect he shortened those days. What days? The days of the tribulation prior to A.D. 70. He even directs them to pray. Verse 18, that, that God would show mercy and not bring the coming judgment in a time of winter. And so Habakkuk, concerning God's judgment upon the moral depravity of Judah in his day, prayed. Chapter 3 and verse 2 of his prophecy, Lord, I have heard the report about you and I fear. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath. Remember mercy. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, God spares his elect people from hell's eternal fury, and he holds back his hand uh, in this life too, doesn't he? He has not dealt with us according to our iniquities, our sins, nor has he rewarded us according uh, to our iniquities. Christian, do you have a sense of the infinite and eternal mercies of your great God. Jesus warns all people to flee from the coming judgment. And he comforts his people concerning the coming judgment. And that leaves each of, each of us to face three questions. Have you fled from the wrath to come by fleeing to the Lord Jesus Christ, believing in him, trusting in him, fleeing, turning from your sins, turning to, flee from wrath, flee from sin, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have, If you have fled the wrath to come, if you are indeed truly and genuinely trusting in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation, are you taking sin seriously? And are you fleeing from it? As the Bible tells us, we must do. There's nothing so urgent, especially of these first two questions. They are that which our eternal lives depend upon. Nothing so urgent as for you to consider whether you have fled from God's coming wrath of judgment, the final judgment. Nothing more important for, uh, for you to consider than whether you, you are fleeing daily, hating, forsaking your sin, turning from it unto God in order to walk in holiness before Him. And then thirdly, you who are engaged in the great tribulation of this life, are you finding mercy and comfort in the God of all comfort, 
the God of all truth. Even when he brings temporal judgment upon you, we can't always know when that is, of course. But when he does, and when he comes alongside of you and says to you, my son, take note of your sin. Take note of my warnings and the temporal chastisements that that I bring upon my children as he disciplines you, as he teaches you. As you think about that mercy, think about what a wondrous gift God's discipline is. I know you children don't always think that discipline is a, is a gift. Um, when your father disciplines you, your mother disciplines you, when they use the rod, you don't think of that as a gift, but it is a gift. Because they're disciplining you for the purpose of godliness. And God says the same thing about every true child. Every true child of God undergoes discipline. It is for discipline that you endure, Hebrews 12, 7 says. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are not legitimate children and not sons. So what's true of your parents' children is true of your father in heaven. He will discipline you if you truly belong to him. He won't let you continue in your disobedience. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time has seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's why our Father's discipline is such a wonderful gift to us. Therefore, the writer goes on to exhort us. We who are coming through the great tribulation of our days, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. That's the message with which our Lord Jesus Christ comforts his disciples. It's a message of great mercy to all those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, you are indeed merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and truth. You keep covenant to a thousand generations of your people. You are God, O Lord, who 
shows great mercy. We pray that you would help us to, that you guard us from false teaching, that you would grant to us faithful teachers in the church who proclaim the truth, who warn God's people, teach us, O Lord, to flee the coming judgment, teach us to flee immorality and youthful lusts, teach us, O Lord, to flee to Christ and to find a great hope and comfort and joy in the chastisements that you bring upon us as your children. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.